Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. I am Kieran Mulvaney and I am here as always with my co-host Eric Raskin, Pennsylvania resident Eric Raskin, Mm -hmm. I should emphasize. Yeah, Eric, I imagine you and your fellow Keystone Staters are feeling a part of history today, really, as it was your collective 20 electoral votes that resulted in Saturday being such a seismic day with confirmation that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be the next president and vice president of the United States, notwithstanding claims to the country made in press conferences and landscape company parking lots. But um, now look, I, I could be churlish and I could point out that being last or near last isn't necessarily best, and that a certain Green Mountain state and its three, count them, three electoral votes was first on the board on Tuesday evening, uh, and that my county voted for the winning ticket by 69 to 29%. I could say all of that, mm-hmm. but I won't. Mm-hmm. Let us focus instead on some of the true fighters and heroes in Pennsylvania who made this result possible, and who indeed have garnered attention the world over, and in particular... I would like to ask, echoing the queries of some French news outlets, c'est quoi, gritty? <laughs> yes, that is an actual phrase that uh, was was uttered somewhere in France, uh, which is uh, about as good a sign as there could possibly be that things are getting a little closer to right in the world. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do thank Vermont. You know, for playing its part, uh, though I guess I'll know. Got the ball rolling. Uh, got the ball rolling. Although I, uh, uh, we should note that the the number that was on TV screens uh, throughout the the weekend, two seventy three, still would have reached two seventy without your three. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I'm displaying a lot of Philadelphia pride in particular these days. Pennsylvania pride, but but Philly pride in particular. I'm on Twitter arguing that the Eagles should be recognized as America's team. Um, I have an I have an open challenge out to all my enemies to fight my state's lieutenant governor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not not me. Fight him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nothing gives me more pleasure than seeing gritty become an international phenomenon. Look, you can hate our sports teams and their obnoxious fans who reek of yingling and hoagie breath, but you have to admire that Philly is home to the number one mascot in all of American sports and the number two mascot in all of American sports. I mean, the Philly fanatic held down that number one spot for decades, but I think Gritty might be passing him. I kind of want to call in Steve Kornacki to update us on the fanatic versus Gritty vote on the big board and tell us about the ground Gritty just picked up in Allegheny County. Uh, Actually, if there's anyone outrating Gritty right now in nationwide popularity... It can only be Steve Kornacki. Oh, seriously. It's it's Kornacki, Gritty, Philly Fanatic, and Lieutenant Governor Fetterman. That's basically the new Mount Rushmore right there. <laughs> can you tell I'm in a good mood, Kieran? I'm, I'm not making a lot of sense, and uh, and I don't care. My gods are a tireless nerd in khakis and a hideous orange hockey mascot. You know, I briefly thought to myself, hey, how come like Gritty's getting all the attention here and, and is everybody's, you know, fantasy for being the hero? Why isn't it the fanatic? And then I thought about it and looked at the fanatic again and I'm like, God bless him. Fine mascot. Mm-hmm. If you want an alley fight, you're sending him Gritty. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Gritty will give you a hard check into the boards. Fanatic, a light belly bump. It doesn't do the same thing. <laughs> and by the way, thank you to Gritty for rebranding the color orange, which has had a rough four ah, years. There you go. Yes. <laughs> point. Uh, we actually do have some boxing to talk about this week. Um, and uh, we're really looking forward to welcoming a first-time guest. Uh, Calvin Ford 
aka Coach Calvin, uh, the trainer of Javante Davis, who will break down how Javante pulled off the knockout of the year against Leo Santa Cruz. And we'll also we'll ask him who we'd like to see Tank fight next. Uh, we'll also analyze this past weekend's fights. There weren't too many, but we'll have a look at them, uh, including Devin Haney's points win over Yuriokis Gamboa. We'll look ahead briefly to Terence Crawford versus Cal Brook. But we're going to start this week where we usually finish um, with the outside the ring news. And one particular piece of news that has stirred up a whole lot of attention and conversation, even in the midst of all the other broader news that was going on, as it involves the biggest star in possibly the whole sport, but certainly the biggest star in boxing in North America. Yeah, Kieran, of course, is talking about Canelo Alvarez, whose manager slash trainer Eddie Reynoso released a statement on Friday declaring the middleweight champion to be a free agent, meaning the drama between Canelo, promoter Golden Boy, and streaming service DAZN, which famously signed him to a $365 million contract in 2018, is over. As we discussed on previous podcasts, there had been tension between Canelo and Oscar De La Hoya for a while. And since COVID-19 began impacting the boxing business, DAZN was trying to cut Canelo's pay. And so he started trying to exit the contract. He has now done that without having to endure a drawn-out legal battle. And while some might spend a lot of energy on what this means for DAZN or for Golden Boy, the meaningful story for fight fans is that Canelo can return to the ring before 2020 is over. And he plans to, as it has been widely reported that he's been talking to PBC and is close to announcing a December 19th fight at 168 pounds against Caleb Plant. Kieran has some unconfirmed information from a good source about what network will carry that fight. We expect something will be announced very soon. But until then, let's just talk about what this means for Canelo. Uh, Less importantly to everyone not named Canelo Alvarez or on his payroll, what might this mean financially? And more importantly, what does this mean boxing-wise? Is Canelo Triple G3 officially dead? And what do the next couple of years potentially look like for the Mexican superstar? I mean, if you mean financially for Canelo, then, I mean, whatever happens, he's not going to get a deal for anything like as much money as DAZN threw at him. Right. Um, no one apart from DAZN would ever have done anything like that. And and it didn't take long, as you said, for DAZN to have buyer's remorse. Uh, but, but, you know, I'm sure Canelo is fully aware of that. Um, I don't think that was the real issue for him. It was about professionalism. It was about promises being made and kept. Um, it was about promises being made on his behalf without his being consulted. Right. Um, it was about being able to fight. Um, DAZN was, as we've discussed, uh, nixing some perfectly good opponents for Canelo Alvarez on the, you know, which are perhaps reasonable on the grounds that they're not necessarily $30 million opponents. Um, but in terms of uh, reasonable guys to fight, he was getting turned down and he was getting frustrated about that. Um, and from what I understand, Canelo actually may not have very many fights left in his body and he wants to fight. Um, you know, perhaps if he'd had a strong relationship with his promoter, he could have worked out those issues with the zone. Um, but as we know, he, he felt deceived by the terms that Golden Boy had offered the zone. He'd grown to strongly dislike Oscar De La Hoya. Um, you do wonder what it means for the zone. You also have to wonder how thrilled Golovkin is now with this situation, because yes, that, they pay him a lot of money, but he joined DAZN specifically to try to get that third fight with Canelo. Um, that you know, uh, Canelo had no idea that he was he was being backed into. So, yeah, it pays him a lot of money, but Golovkin too, very much at the tail end of his career. And you have to figure that at least for now, a, a third Canelo fight is out the window. Um, 
you know, it's, it's hard to see after this that there could be some kind of arrangement if Golovkin remains tied up to, with DAZN, that, that something could be made to happen. And Canelo has not expressed a great deal of enthusiasm for it in the first place, um, which is part of the reason why he's left the, the zone here. But um, Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. You know, obviously, the zone's freed up a lot of money now, so that's good for them. Right. Although I don't know if they had to pay Canelo a certain amount to be out of this. I have no idea what the terms were of, of that. But, uh, but they are now down their star attraction. Um, and I believe that even Anthony Joshua's contract is up with him after his next fight. Um, so I don't know. We, as we've talked about before, it feels as if the zone is repositioning itself a little bit for more of a global market than a U.S. one. But right. we shall see about that. Um, but what does it mean more importantly, right, for boxing and for Canelo? Um, well, for Canelo, it means the opportunity to fight. And so it's going to close some doors, obviously, including the Golovkin one, probably. Uh, but it does open others. Uh, Caleb Plant looks like a real possibility um, you know, you look at who else might be on that similar side of the street. If he, if Canelo really wanted to dare to be great and, and really, you know, he's shown that he's not afraid to take on bigger guys. There's maybe a David Benavides in his future, perhaps a Charlo, perhaps two Charlos. Right. There are some really interesting possibilities depending on whether he wants to stick at 160 or at 168 or bounce between the two. Um, but the best thing in the short term is that it means almost certainly that we are going to see, as you said, the sport's biggest attraction in action in 2020. Yeah, that, that that's the thing I'm coming back to here. You know, my, my great theoretical lament, which I vo- voiced a time or two prior to this, is that Canelo turned 30 during the pandemic. He's in his prime, still for the most part getting better with every fight. Yep. And so this would just be a horrible time for him and for boxing fans for him to be losing a year or two of his career. So... That's a great relief. Uh, that's a theme of this week for me, experiencing great relief. Uh, but it, it's a great relief that he will almost certainly fight in 2020, after all, against a top-of-the-line opponent, no less. Uh, and, and and that we can then expect a couple of Canelo fights each year, probably, for the next couple of years. Things can change, of course. The next Indeed. deal, you know, things could sour. But for now, there's every reason to think this was just a brief interruption in Canelo's career. He basically lost one fight due to the pandemic, but so did almost everybody. And and now he's back on track. Um, is he going to be making less money than DAZN was going to pay him? We both are assuming so for the non-blockbuster fights. But, you know, if one blockbuster yep. fight comes along, one fight that could do two million pay-per-views, as his fight with Floyd Mayweather did seven years ago... That could be worth two or three DAZN fights. Um, I like the plant matchup a lot. My inclination is to favor Canelo, but please don't tell Caleb Plant that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but 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 it's a very tough fight for Canelo if it gets finalized. Yeah. Uh, you could do it on pay-per-view or make it a huge non-pay-per-view event. Either strategy has upside. And to just touch quickly on the stuff that shouldn't matter as much to boxing fans, you know, what does this mean for yeah. DAZN and for Golden Boy? 
I think it's probably a relief for DAZN. They were clearly struggling to pay Canelo his guarantees. This relieves some pressure. They still have plenty of good fighters and a solid schedule coming up. They can focus on that. For Golden Boy, there aren't as many silver linings, maybe not any silver linings. Uh, Oscar's top priority now becomes focusing on holding on to his up-and-comers, namely Ryan Garcia and Virgil Ortiz. But, you know, just in the big picture, this news has a lot of ramifications. I think most importantly, it's a fresh start for Canelo, and it's good news for his fans that he will be fighting one time in 2020, which is one time more than I was expecting as of a few days ago. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, talking about trying to hold on to the fighters, I mean, Golden Boy does keep shooting itself in the foot. Um, you know, it, they they, they made, listed a statement that said something to the effect of, yeah, we still got these great fighters like Ryan Garcia, um, like Virgil Ortiz, uh, all of which prompted Jojo Diaz to tweet that, huh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Another guy who's been dissatisfied with Golden Boy. And, Obviously, of course, where Canelo goes, Ryan Garcia is going to want to go too. So that's going to be the next challenge for them. But, yeah. um, but like you say, all of that as boxing fans should be of incidental concern. Right. And the important thing is the opportunity to to see Canelo. It's been what's it been now a year? So right. yeah, we're we're overdue to to see Canelo. And what a boost actually it will be for the sport to to see him, and especially if he's in a in a good fight, because. You know, we talked about that at the beginning when boxing was coming back. How uh, we just really needed to see the big guys come back. Um, but if Canelo is the biggest star in North American boxing, our next news item involves one of the uh, two biggest stars outside North America, the heavyweight champ Tyson Fury. So he's been again something we've touched on before. He's been talking for a few weeks about fighting December fifth in London. Uh, now we have a likely opponent. Uh, nothing is official yet, but it appears he'll be taking on Agit Kabayel. And if you're saying Ooh, you're not alone. Um, he is 20 and 0. Uh, he's from, with 13 KOs. He's from Germany, 28 years old. But he does have one notable name on his record. He defeated Derek Chisora by majority decision in 2017. Eric, have you heard of this guy before this week? And how do you feel about it if he is Tyson Fury's opponent on December 5th? So I guess I must have seen the name come across my radar when he beat Chisora, but it honestly didn't look familiar to me at all when I saw it again this week. Mm. Um, but I watched some video of Caballel, including parts of the Chisora fight, and he's not bad at all. Um, okay. To put it to put it in terms of recent Fury opponents, this is much closer to an Otto Valin than a Tom Schwartz. Um, so considering that I was expecting Fury, if he was indeed fighting someone not named Deontay Wilder in London on December 5th, essentially keeping busy before an Anthony Joshua fight... I was expecting him to face either a Schwarz-type pushover or a fairly washed, familiar name like a mm. Bermain Stavern type. Uh, so given that, Cabiel's actually pretty good. This could be a real fight. If he's about 90% of Otto Valin, that means Fury will have to work to beat him. Um, the Chisora result was not a bad decision. Cabiel legit beat him close. Uh, that tells you he's solid, just knowing that mm-hmm. fact. And so, yeah, this is about as good as we could have expected in terms of matchmaking for December 5th. And could you imagine if Caballel upset the apple cart? Oh, you know, my. I don't think it's likely, but, oh, man, would that be a very boxing-y turn of events to, <laughs> to get no Fury Wilder 3 and screw up Fury Joshua. It's a long shot, but uh, Caballel is competent enough that I can't rule it out. It'll be a very boxing and 2020 co-promotion result. (laughs) There you go.
<laughs> the combined force of those two uh, coming together. Yeah. Um, so uh, speaking of uh, th- things, things that have been very present in 2020, there's a lot of news this week with regard to COVID and its impact on scheduled fights. We're seeing numbers spiking like crazy. The number of NFL players and games impacted keeps going up. And same with boxing, where three fights were postponed this week due to positive tests. First, there was supposed to be a junior flyweight title fight in Osaka, Japan this past Tuesday, Hiroto Kayoguchi versus Tonongsak Simstri. But after the weigh-in, Kayoguchi and his trainer both tested positive for COVID, so that fight got canceled. Then Alexander Povetkin tested positive for COVID-19. His rematch with Dillian White was scheduled for November 21st, but now there's talk of a target date of January 30th, 2021. And the biggest disappointment for serious boxing fans came when 130-pound titleist Miguel Burchelt tested positive, postponing his December 12th fight with Oscar Valdez, about we were all really looking forward to. Bob Arum is now talking about Shakur Stevenson headlining on that date against an opponent to be determined instead. Kieran, you said last week that the window to do fights in front of fans semi-safely in the U.S. was a small one. Davis Santa Cruz slipped in there. Safe to assume the COVID impact on boxing from this point forward will get worse before it gets better. And any other reactions to any of these specific instances and the fights that are getting pushed back? The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, I mean, even since last week, it really felt, feels even more as if that window is closing. Um, look, COVID is making its predicted winter surge. Uh, just in the United States right now, we're back to 120,000 new cases and 1,000 deaths a day, uh, which is just appalling. Um, you know, we, but we can see that sport can still be done properly as long as you do it. You know, the key is the bubble, right? It, right. It's absolutely that key. And from the outside I can see I, – I have no fault with the, at all with the way that ESPN and Top Rank and PBC and Showtime have done their sequence of, of, of fights. It seems to be exactly right. You know, you keep that tight bubble. Um, any issues and, and people just don't get to come in or are kicked out, it sucks for the people involved. Um, you know, we've talked to a few of them, um, and it's clear that that hotel room isolation is, is a tough one. But I don't know that there's any alternative. That's the way to get it done. Um, you know, in terms of events in front of fans, uh, we still have 70 or so days of an administration that's basically thrown its hands up in the air mm. and decided that this thing doesn't exist. So it's hard to imagine there'll be any official guidance in this respect prior to j- mid-January. Um, so it's going to be incumbent on promoters and broadcasters and commissions to make those determinations by themselves. Um, it may be that it will still be deemed possible. You know, if you do exactly what happened at the Alamo Dome, maybe it still will be possible. If you have low capacity crowds right. uh, that are socially distanced and everybody has to wear masks and that's enforced and there are temperature checks, um, maybe it's still possible to do that. But the situation globally, or certainly, well, certainly in North America and in Europe, um, is not getting better. And uh, as we've mentioned, parts of Europe have gone back into a lockdown. 
Um, and the notion of crowds being at events is absolutely not a thing that's happening, at least over the next month or so. Um, and we will see what it means for crowds at, uh, at events here. Um, the other thing to add with regard to the fights that you mentioned, obviously, it's a, they were all good fights, especially Bachel, but it's And it's a shame to see them postponed, but there is no alternative. And I also, you know, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that these fighters who've tested positive are not just statistics, they're human beings. And while they're in very, very low risk categories because they're stupid fit and, <laughs> and they're young, they're not not at risk. So really hope that this is just the case of these guys testing positive and not having uh, uh, any symptoms and being perfectly healthy when they get through it. That's the most important thing, of course. Yeah. And we absolutely do sort of lose sight of that in, in the moment. Uh, when we see this news, we think about how it impacts boxing, but that really should be secondary. And just as far as the crowds at fights, you know, the timing of there are very few parts of the country where the weather is conducive to doing outdoor also, fights yeah. from now until march or april or so uh yeah that that doesn't help either yeah indeed um here's news on a fight that we'd like to see but that might be in jeopardy but not because of covid um it's because of a longer lasting and all the more pernicious issue in boxing um all roads appeared to be leading to chocolatito gonzalez against juan francisco estrada too um but on wednesday the name of alphabet body redacted because we don't want to give them publicity, <laughs> uh, ordered negotiations between Estrada and his mandatory Srisaket Sorong Visay to begin. Um, now, that, frankly, is not a bad fight. Not only is it not a bad fight, it's a really good fight. How do we know that it's a really good fight? We've seen it twice already. Um, they were both cracking bouts. But we've been waiting for Estrada Chocolatito 2 for eight plus years now. So, come on, people, just for once, get out of the damn way. <laughs> yeah. um, Eric, I, I know what the Alphabet Group's do to your blood pressure, and I know you've been super chill, and it's a wonderful weekend, and we don't necessarily want to spoil anything, but we got to touch this. So what's your level of Alphabet-induced rage on this one? This is It's such a weird one, because I do feel some rage, some, why are you meddling? Sit the hell down and shut the hell up. Um, but also... Estrada Strisaket 3 is a great fight. Their, their first two were both outstanding. So, you know, under any other circumstance, I'd be thrilled to see that fight. Maybe yeah. Estrada will pay step-aside money, but it's not like he makes huge money and it's easy yeah. for him to do that. This is such an obvious case for the redacted alphabet body to make an exception and say... Your mandatory is due after one more fight. The people want to see Gonzalez Estrada yes. 2. Let's give the people what they want. Then we'll enforce your mandatory. If only giving the people what they want ever crossed the mind of any Alphabet Group officials. Uh, so on a scale of 1 to 10 of rage, I'm at like a 7. But but the 7 is all about principle. I, I have rage over yeah. the violation of logic and principle the actual act of ordering a really great mandatory fight isn't rage-inducing in a vacuum. Right. So we'll see where it goes. I would think if the bigger money is in a Chocolatito fight, then Estrada's people will mm. find a way to make that happen. But plus, if any fighter deserved a pass on mandatories, it's Juan Francisco Estrada. I mean, yeah. good lord. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he only fights elite opponents one after another after another. So, uh, yeah. How could you object to Estrada Chocolatito 2 first? And if wh yeah. whoever wins that 
can can go ahead and give uh, Srisaket his mandate. Although now now that I think about it, I'm not sure I want to see Chocolate Tito versus Srisaket yeah. a third time. <laughs> but uh, still, uh, yeah, this this is not the time to be forcing Estrada Srisaket three. Let that happen uh, after this one. Indeed. Uh, the last news item that we want to cover concerns trouble outside the ring for a couple of boxers. We start with reports that Gervonta Davis was involved in a hit-and-run accident in Baltimore early Thursday morning. There were reportedly no major injuries, fortunately. Gervonta's role is unclear, and there have been no charges or arrests, so we can't really say much more until we know if Davis was driving and and directly involved. A situation we have more information on is the latest with Adrian Broner, who was jailed last Monday on contempt of court charges in Cuyahoga County, Ohio. He was ordered to pay more than $780,000 in damages and court costs stemming from a 2018 Cleveland nightclub incident. Broner testified a month ago that he couldn't pay it because he only had $13.65 in cash. But then he posted a video on Instagram showing himself with stacks of money, certainly totaling more than $13.65. Courtroom videos made their way around the Internet this week showing Broner name dropping his, quote, rich friends who send him money, including the aforementioned Javante Davis, Al Heyman and our boss, Stephen Espinoza. I've run out of things to say about Adrian Broner. <laughs> How about you, Kieran? Anything to comment on here? Uh, not really. I mean, look, you know, neither of us really know either of these guys, of course. So, you know, anything I have to offer is really just speculative. As I think we've said before, it does feel at times as if Davis is a two steps forward and one step back kind of guy. Um, and maybe the two steps forward is sometimes generous. Uh, I, I, I think you and I both really root for him. Um, and, and I wish he'd find a way to just keep going forward. Um, but as you said, we don't know any details about this particular incident. Maybe it's nothing. Um, so I'll sort of refrain from adding anything more there. And as for Bronner, I, he's the same, but without the steps forward, I just, I don't know, really. Um, there's just, doesn't seem to be any progress or maturation with Adrian Bronner. Um, you know, as I, as I think I've mentioned possibly ad nauseum before, um, I shadowed him for a few days. Uh, prior to his Vicente Escobedo fight, right before he truly broke out. And I came away with the impression that he was not at all a malevolent person, but a deeply, deeply immature one. Um, he struck me as the class clown that never grew up. Mm. was always trying to impress and please and really had nothing else to him. And I've seen nothing since to shake me of, of that. I, I really wish him no ill will. Uh, at this point, it just keeps on going for him. And I just really hope that he learns to get his shit together. But... Whether this means we'll see him fight in January as planned, I don't know. We don't know if it has any impact. He looked a little chunky in that courtroom video. Yes, so, I noticed that. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that, but mostly I just hope he gets his stuff. I hope, you know, I don't have ill will against anyone who can't seem to get their act together, but boy, oh boy, the evidence is beginning to stack up that that's just not going to happen. Yeah. All right. You know what? Let's stick with one of these two young boxers, but we'll transition into a more positive discussion about him. Um, it has been. A little over a week since Javante Davis defeated Leo Santa Cruz in San Antonio on Showtime pay-per-view. It's fair to say that whatever has happened since, on that night, things could not have gone much better for him. Not only did he score a decisive victory over a four-time world champion, but at the time that we're recording this, the video of the knockout that is pinned at the top of the Showtime Boxing Twitter account has been viewed, get this, four and a half million times. (laughs) Incredible. Um, a great result for Javante, of course, and by extension, a great result for his team as well. And if you watch the All Access show, you will be aware that one member 
of that team in, in particular played a very important role, not just for Tank in the corner, but throughout his life. And we are thrilled to say that that man, Coach Calvin Ford, is with us now. Coach, thank you so much for joining us on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Hey, how y'all doing today? Pretty good. How about yourself? I'm hanging in there. Just out, <laughs> out and about right now. And everybody just was talking about it was a great fight. Yeah, and hopefully you're still uh, soaking in the afterglow of that great win. And, and let's let's dive right into it. Uh, as Kieran and I discussed on our post-fight podcast the day after the fight, we noticed it became obvious in the very first round that Gervonta wanted to land that left uppercut. Um, we, we'll ask you about the knockout in a moment. But first, I'm just curious about the game plan, uh, Calvin. What did you see that led you to believe the left uppercut would be such an important punch. And, and was that indeed all by design or did Gervonta no, see if, something if, during if the fight? Back, if you go back and watch the Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz lean over when he fights. He leans in with his head. He comes in with his head a lot of times when he fights. If you go back and look at the tape, when he's throwing a lot of punches, when a person is standing in front of him. So we just kept dialing in on it. Tank didn't know that that's what we was working on because normally I don't ever tell him what I'm doing. I just get him in a ripper tip or just throwing that, throwing a certain punches that I need him to throw. Hmm. And if you look at Tank, Tank, Tank have different types of punches that he throw, but that uppercut is like money shot. Mm-hmm. I, I'd love to, um, you know, hear you break down that, that knockout punch. You know, Tank tweeted the video and he pointed out mm-hmm. that, that he adapted, right? So Santa Cruz threw a straight mm-hmm. right hand that landed, then one that Javante right. blocked. And then the third one, mm-hmm. Javante slipped before throwing that uppercut. And what did you see there? And, and are people overly focused on that final punch and maybe not appreciating the, the sequence by Javante enough? Well, um, we noticed that, 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 um, Santa Cruz was slowing down for some reason. I don't know if it's the weight that he put on or the type of training that he did. But you notice he was hitting Tank. He was catching Tank. But Tank already knew that if you hit me, I'm going to hit you right back with something. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like, you, you give me one, I'm going to see, can you take mine? And it paid off. Mm-hmm. So uh, up until the knockout, uh, it was a close fight. Uh, all, all three judges had Tank up three rounds I, I to two. I didn't. They, or the judges had it close. I didn't. It didn't seem close. A lot of punches mm. Santa Cruz was throwing. It wasn't connecting. That yeah, it wasn't that was connecting. Like yeah. Okay, that was, yeah, that was part of what I was going to ask you is whether whether your confidence mm. in the corner ha- was shaken at all, or if you felt uh, through mm. those first five I, rounds like you you guys I, were in I, control. I thought and, the first three rounds, tanked up the first three rounds, without without you know like you just went through it because Santa Cruz was missing a lot. Okay, he was missing mm. a lot mm. in the all first right. three rounds. If you go really look at it. Tank was flipping a lot of them punches, but they was throwing at him. Right. Yeah. I mean, certainly that's that, that's part of Leo's uh, approach. Is he throws a lot of punches, they don't all land. So you were happy with the mm. defensive effort from from Tank. Were there still things though that you didn't love at at a Tank in that fight that you come away wanting to work on with him going forward? Uh, no, because I know Tank defense is a little bit, but Santa Cruz was touching. That's why his eye was sitting up because he kept his hand down at one point. 
So, but other than that, you know, just you know, tank just looked at and seeing what he what he can take. And it gotcha. was a good shot, actually. It was a good shot. Very good shot. He threw it, he threw it, he threw it just right and perfect. Oh yeah, for sure. That's for sure. He he looked it looked to us, we talked about this after the fight. There's always talk about Javante's conditioning, but he looked like he was in great shape. He performed like he looked lean, he looked mean. Um is one thirty actually his best weight? Yeah, one thirty is his best weight. He can fight between one thirty and one thirty five. We'll be campaigning at one thirty. But if the money the money situation is right, we'll take one thirty five. Okay. Okay, so so you have no problem going back and forth between fights, like depending on where no, the money because, is at. Um, 130, 130, 135, like we should be able to make that without no problem, you know. Um, see, he came in at 129. We just did that when he took his clothes off to be sure, so we didn't, he didn't want to get penalized <laughs> for nothing. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, as, as Kieran said, he, he looked in great shape. As you just said, he made the weight without any problems. And, you know, we had, uh, Abner Maras on before the fight and he mm-hmm. speculated that the whole COVID situation could be a bit of a blessing in disguise for Gervonta because people are in quarantine. Life is kind of boring. You're staying in. It's easier to stay focused on the fight and stay disciplined. Is is that what you found with Gervonta leading up to this fight? Well, actually, uh, he, he hit it right on the nose to tell you the truth because the quarantine was, it was a, it was a mental factor for us too because it was something that we actually never went into and all the rules and regulations that they put in, but it did work in our favor because of uh he couldn't move around or anything. Mm. But again, um kudos go out to um um Leo, I mean not Leo, what's the name that you just spoke to spoke Ab- Ab- Abner Morris. Yeah. He said Abner Morris. When they did the Showtime interview we was watching him and I was listening to what he said how the fight was gonna pan out. And um he was right on the money with that. Mm. He was definitely mm. on the money with that. So again um, we knew he was going to come in throwing a lot of punches and whatnot. And the thing was, just weather his storm and just make sure we just stayed sharper than him, which he did. Right. 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 So you mentioned you're happy to fight at 130, happy to fight at 135, depending what's out there. Is there mm-hmm. one particular opponent that stands out to you as the dream fight for Javante? Well, it was um, Romanchenko. We thought that would have been our dream, dream fight. So, you know, mm. it is what it is because everybody was pumping him up to be the man, you know, and that's what what's the name said. You know, he, mm. he, he stepped up to the cause and I had him doing his thing against um, what you call it when actually um, when he stood in front of them type of guys that's, you know, hungry. So so does Lopez now potentially become the dream fight for Javante then with with Lomachenko having taken a loss? Well, I, I mean, it, he got to get his numbers up because, you know, he don't have a big fan base. You, you with me? Right. We don't have a big fan base um, and whatnot. And, and at the end of the day, it's about numbers, especially right. if you're trying to sell oh. pay-per-view. Right. right. What about somebody like a Ryan Garcia who's got a great sort of following great, at least? Yeah, that's great. That is a great <laughs> one right there. <laughs> okay, we like that. <laughs> and, and he's always he's always poking that tank all the time. You know what I'm saying? Ron Garcia. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he's a... He's a I got Kenny Alice with me, his other coach with me. He said, okay. who's that guy? I said, Ron Garcia. He said, yeah, that's a good fight right there. <laughs> right. And I like him because he's always poking at tank. He's always poking at tank. And he have a big following. You with okay. me? He right. have a great big following. So, so that's a good fight. Okay. That's okay. a good fight for him. Them, them two to make sense on pay-per-view. Right. Got you. 
Um, so one thing to keep an eye on with Gervonta, whoever he plans to fight next, is his maturation process as a person outside the ring. Um, he, of course, had a, another mm-hmm. incident this week, and it, it just seems like he's always taking some steps forward and some steps backwards. And, and look, that's not unusual for a young man his age, but h- how are you mm-hmm. feeling about him in terms of turning a corner? Like, you, you know, you've taken a lot of troubled kids in Baltimore and turned them into men. You've <laughs> seen this many times before. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like Gervonta is, is, is headed in the right direction? Well, I still believe he's hitting in the right direction. You know, again, I always tell people they do not gave, we're not, we don't have a manual of life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things, people make decisions and do certain things and whatnot. You know, like this incident that everybody claimed that, you know, if, if, if that was out of his control and whatnot, he's just in the middle of it because his vehicle was in the wrong place at the real time, wrong time, you know. So we're trying to deal with that, that situation right now. But other than that, you know, it's still growing pain. You know, it's still growing pains. I always reflect back on Floyd when he was young. He went through his Mike Tyson when he was young, right. you know. So, um, Ali, his situation was different because of the time. You with me? So right. all fighters go through their trials and tribulations, but people don't reflect back on that. I do because I study his history. You know what I'm saying? And I watch the conduct of all of them coming up to being great champions, you know. And a lot of this came to him at a real young age. And he's about to turn 26. That's when mm. normally us at men, we really start looking at a life at that particular age. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So he's, so you, you do feel though, like he's, he, he's, he's headed in the right direction. It's just sort of, like you said, the, the growing pains, a lot of us go through in our twenties. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it, it, it takes time, you know, I hopefully when, um, when he gets to the, the, the back end of his career, we look back and say, man, he turned out. I look at Floyd, you know, Floyd changed his whole situation around, you know? So when you look at it, it's, it's, it's part, of, part of growing. Everybody goes through that. It just yeah. when they find it, their time to actually come into their self. Yeah. And then some well, of these things that a person goes through, it's a lesson for them, you know, right. to make them a better person. Right. Well, on, on that on that front, you mentioned Floyd. Uh, how how helpful has it been for Gervonta having this guy who's been through all of this whispering in, in his ear? Is, is that really a, a key factor for Gervonta as a person? I, I think it is because, again, um, Floyd has been in his corner, and um, he's been telling them things that some young fighters don't would never get to see, you know, on that level if they don't make it to that level. He, 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 he feels as though Tank will make it to that level, and he has something to give. It's not always boxing with Tank and Floyd. It's, you know, things mm. that he went through in life um, to, to make his life better, you know. And, and the, the relationship between them two is strange, but it's good. You know, and, and, and Floyd is learning like, OK, let him be the fighter. And let me be the promoter. I'm a promoter. But at the same time, I'm going to be in his ear because it's business. And that's the part he has to learn. The three, three elements of Tank that we try to teach him. Javante, the family man. Tank, the boxer. Um, Davis, the businessman. So these are mm. things that he has to learn. Got you. you know, so he got the boxing part now because he's been doing it since he was little. Right. You know. Now we just have to get the family side. He's doing that with the baby. The baby, he loves his, love his daughter, you know. Right. That's the business side. He has to understand the business of boxing. Got you. Um, so we've asked a lot of questions about Javante. Let's finish with one about you. Uh, you okay. made a strong impression on viewers on Showtime's All Access show. And have you had a chance to watch that show at all? Uh, how would I say? I watched the 
first episode. I watched the first episode. It brought me to tears that, you know, everybody don't understand. It's real for us, the journey of actually getting where we at. And it's, it, and it's bigger than boxing for us here in Baltimore because I'm trying to get on a platform where I can touch people to actually help me really do what I'm trying to do to help the kids of Baltimore because they need a lot of guidance and we don't have the we have mentors, but they don't have the platform that I would like to put them on to actually cultivate their talents here in Baltimore. Mm. That really came across, I thought, and we and we Eric and I talked about it on the podcast that it, it just really came across of like that role that you were playing and and the importance of it, not just with John Javante, but with the community as a whole. And and obviously you're known for that in Baltimore, but uh, have you noticed like with being on All Access that now maybe more people around the country I are really aware of you? It, it, I, I feel like Floyd's dead, like sometimes. <laughs> they want, you just want to say, so, can I take a picture? Can I get an autograph? And I never was used to that, you know. And I had to tell people, thank you so, for supporting us, you know, and believing in what we are trying to do with these kids. Nice. Right. Nice. Right. So it, it elevated your, your fame profile a bit. And now, now that you've been on the Showtime Boxing Podcast, it's just it, even this, this, this is the proof that you've made it to the top. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it, I mean, I, I would just say I sit down for years watching TV and watching everybody else doing their thing. And, and you know, you imagine yourself in that position. You know, mm. this is crazy, you know, that has actually happened to me in my life. Right. Wow, that's awesome, man. It, it is deserved, and it has been a real pleasure to talk to you. Uh, congratulations again on the win. And thank you again. Thank, I really appreciate you. Thank you, and thanks so much for joining us on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. I thank you. I thank you. Thanks, All Calvin. All right, our thanks again to Coach Calvin. Uh, boy, you really got him going by mentioning Ryan Garcia. <laughs> um, and it was a different undefeated young lightweight uh, and possible future Javante Davis opponent who was in the spotlight this past Saturday. Devin Haney headlined on zone against Yuriokas Gamboa and boxed effectively, dominated the fight, but could not score a knockdown or a knockout, becoming the first fighter to beat Gamboa over the distance by scores of 118-109 and 120-107 twice. Uh, Terrence Crawford stopped Gamboa, Javante Davis stopped Gamboa, even Robinson Castellano stopped Gamboa, but Haney couldn't hurt the 38-year-old Cuban, so are you rethinking just how blue chip a prospect Haney is off this, his second straight distance fight? Or does he still fit right in with Teofimo Lopez, Davis, Garcia, and we should be admiring his boxing skill rather than worrying about a possible lack of power? So it is worth remembering that Yurokis Gamboa is a very good fighter. Yes, he's 38 years old. But um, yes, Crawford stopped him. But uh, Gamboa gave him some rough moments in mm-hmm. that fight. Um, it took Tank until the last round to stop him. Right. Um, I, I kind of just want to dwell on Gambo a little bit because I think I might have mentioned this before. I don't really understand what happened to Gambo's career. He was this terrific featherweight. And then with Top Rank, who for some reason suddenly wanted to put him in with Brandon Rios at 140, which understandably caused resentment on his part. He sat out his contract there, then made the mistake of signing with 50 Cent. And it's then he's just become this high-quality opponent for guys bigger than him. And honestly, I feel like he's, his career deserved better. But yeah. anyway, um, but look, we just saw, as we talked about, Javante Davis annihilate Leo Santa Cruz. And as I said, yes, he battered Gamboa and, and, and dropped him a couple of times. But he looked to be en route to a disappointing 12-round win over Gamboa until he stopped him in the final round. Um, I, I just think Haney, for one thing, just may not be as far along as Davis or Lopez. Um right. 
you know, and different people get to different points at different ages. Maybe he won't get to that point. Um, you know, last week when we were discussing possible Davis opponents, you know, we said we felt that Haney maybe just wasn't bringing enough to the table right now. And I think that really underlined it. I think, you know, Devin Haney is not going to be the next guy to fight Javante Davis after that. Um, you know, it, honestly, I, I'll, I'll tell you what. I find Devin Haney a bit of a hard guy to get a handle on as a boxer. And I have done for a couple of years now. Like, he, will ha- he would put together a string of fights a bit like this that are really technically good but not very exciting. Then he'd put like back to back really good explosive performances and you think, Oh my God, he's great. Right. And then he gets back to this kind of performance again. It's, I, I, I wonder actually if maybe this is just who he is. Maybe it will continue to change as he progresses more, but maybe he's just a very good boxer who just occasionally with the right opponent can be explosive and exciting to watch. Right. Like he's one of those guys, if you're going to watch him, you should assume you're going to be there for 12 rounds. But you should probably make sure you've got your beer with you already so that you don't have to go to the fridge because there's always a possibility that it explodes into something else. Maybe that's just who he is. I I don't know at this point with Devin Haney. Yeah, the fighter who flashed through my mind a bit watching this fight was Vernon Forrest. That maybe Mm. maybe he's that sort of fighter where he's going to be a top guy. He's going to fit in just fine with the other top guys. But something about his style is going to leave you a little less enthused than, mm. than some of the others. Uh, he's just workmanlike, talented, skilled, getting it done, but he's not going to give you the knockout of the year as frequently as Gervonta Davis. Uh, you know, the the fact that I'm currently more excited about Ryan Garcia than I am about Devin Haney, I couldn't have imagined that like 18 right. months ago, but right. they've sort of just flipped. So, yeah, I mean, I still think, uh, as it sounds like you do, Devin Haney has a very high ceiling, yep. um, but I'm just, uh, yeah, there, he's he's not quite delivering that excitement that we were hoping to see from him, and that all these other guys that he's being his name is mixed in with are delivering. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. Um, two heavyweight fights to note from the weekend. Uh, on that Haney Gamboa card, uh, Philip Hergovich stopped an overweight Rydell Booker in the fifth round, and then promptly told him he was too old, <laughs> which was <laughs> just something. Um, good job, referee. Um, and on Fox, Luis King Kong Ortiz in his first fight uh, since losing to Deontay Wilder in their rematch a year ago stopped Alexander Flores with, we think, a body shot in just 46 seconds. Uh, do either of these wins mean anything for either the veteran heavyweight contender or the rising prospect? I it just in this moment I have decided this is your new catchphrase, Kieran. Is whenever you see we are talking about a fight where you like the stoppage, I want you to assume Hergovich voice and say <laughs> "Good job, referee," Good and, job, and, and yeah, leave it go. at that. Yeah. Good. Yep. Um. So yeah, do either of these wins mean anything? Short answer: No. Uh, but but it's good that they're staying active. Booker, we've seen him on Showtime since he came back from a very long prison stretch. He has some skills, but he's getting up there in years, and he was 10 pounds over his weight from the last time we saw him on Showtime, and for that fight, he was about 10 to 15 pounds over his best weight. He clearly didn't train hard for this and can no longer be taken seriously as a gatekeeper, so we really learned nothing about Hergovich, who moves to 12-0, and 10 KOs, remains a prospect to watch, but I'm not sure I see a future elite heavyweight there. The... Luis Ortiz fight is more interesting to discuss just because of how it ended. He landed a right to the body that didn't look all that forceful, but 
maybe it just landed in the perfect spot, or maybe, as Lennox Lewis noticed on the replay, maybe Ortiz's biceps inadvertently colliding with Flores's forehead knocked him loopy, or maybe Flores just wanted out and thought he'd found a good punch to play up, but it wasn't as convincing as he'd hoped. I don't know. Very weird. We learned nothing about King Kong Ortiz, but he's still a dangerous heavyweight. Still belongs in the top 10, even at age 62. Uh, exactly. I, I don't know why people are making such a big deal about Mike Tyson coming back when Ortiz is eight years older than him and still fighting at a world-class level. And that's just his official age. Right, right. He could be 162. I wouldn't rule it out. Um, not a huge weekend of fights awaiting us, uh, but there is a clear unofficial main event of the week ahead as more or less the consensus number one pound for pound fighter. Now that Lomachenko has lost, Terrence Crawford defends his welterweight belt against Kell Brook on Saturday night at the MGM Grand Bubble in Las Vegas, televised on ESPN. We've generally been unenthusiastic about this matchup since it was signed. But I'd say it's not awful. It's just not what we might have hoped for, given that Crawford hasn't faced a live underdog in at least three or four years. Kieran, do you give Kelbrook any kind of a chance at all of winning, or do you at least expect him to have moments and be competitive? It sounds terribly dismissive to say this of a quality boxer. And make no mistake, right? Kelbrook is a quality boxer, but I don't give him. Uh, a chance really to I mean every fighter has a chance but I really don't give him much of a chance at all in this fight uh, that's more of a reflection honestly on Terence Crawford than it is on Kell Brook um, I do think he may very well have moments we know that Crawford is a slow starter quite right. often um, and Brook is still a very is skilled and strong and experienced and incredibly brave um, I would not be at all surprised you know we saw him start well against uh, Errol Spence um, I would not be surprised if he starts well, um, and, 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 you know, and, and is up on points after a few rounds, but I don't think that Crawford will be troubled, but, but he's an awkward fighter the way he fights as well, bro. He, he's just not an, apart from you know, his general skill, he, he can just be a difficult guy to fight. Um, unfortunately, the problem for Kelbrook is that, you know, I mentioned he's brave, but he's a bit brave, being too brave for his own good. We ask our boxers to dare to be great. He dared to be too great, and he just has not been the same since he, he took that tremendous risk against Gennady Golovkin. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's got that physical frailty, you know, especially around his orbital bones and, and so on. So I do suspect that I think Brooke will give a good account of himself, but I don't think he'll look very close to winning. And then I suspect that Crawford will stop him latish, sort of around the third quarter of the fight would be my guess. Yeah. Um, not to disrespect Brooke completely or to look complete, totally past this fight, but Bob Arum did say this week that after that Brooke fight, um, he's confident, and this is Bob Arum talking, he's confident that Crawford will fight either Errol Spence or Manny Pacquiao in the first half of 2021. Do you expect that statement will come true, Eric? Well, it's interesting because it's two very different statements in one. One of them is we're going to make arguably the number one fight to be made in all of boxing. And one of them is we're going to make the most high profile, sad mismatch to be made in all of <laughs> boxing. And maybe that's a stretch. Maybe Crawford Pacquiao isn't quite a full on mismatch, but it, it's at least in that realm. It's a guy in his prime versus a living legend. 10 years past his absolute prime. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a great fight for making Terrence Crawford a bigger star, but it's not actually a great fight, I wouldn't expect. Whereas Crawford Spence, 
That's the one every hardcore fight fan wants to see, uh, even if maybe Crawford Pacquiao sells more on pay-per-view. It's just a little, there's something off. Aaron basically promising, in 2021, we will give you either a Beatles reunion tour or a Poison (laughs) reunion tour. You're getting one of these, I assure you. Um, But uh, So you, you asked, will this statement come true? I'll say yes. Uh, the clock is ticking with Bud Crawford. I think Aram needs to deliver one of those fights, or Crawford might start looking to pull a Canelo and emancipate himself. So I'll guess that we do get Crawford Spence or Crawford Pacquiao, Beatles or Poison, uh, in the first half of 2020, assuming Crawford beats Brooke this Saturday. Yeah. I, I don't think I well you know I've been banging that Crawford Pacquiao drum years and years and years ago. Right. I, I don't think Manny Pacquiao wants that at this point. It, I just I just he, can't see. He what shouldn't he want it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so True. yeah, I yeah I I don't know that that they they'd have to throw a whole lot of a whole lot of money at him. Sort of a uh, here here's your parting gift. It's bigger than right. than you were expecting. Please please make this fight. Yeah. Uh, pretty interesting co-feature to Crawford Brook, a rematch to a minor bubble upset from June. Joshua Franco narrowly outpointed Andrew Maloney in a very good fight. So they will do it again for a 115 pound belt on that ESPN broadcast. And there is one other card airing on Saturday on DAZN from London. Three women's title fights on one show headlined by unified lightweight champ Katie Taylor versus Miriam Gutierrez. Any interest in this card, Kieran? And be aware that the boxing world will label you a misogynist, and rightly so, if you say no. I, I always like watching Katie Taylor. And um, I was going to say that I'm super impressed that she's back in the ring so soon after that tough bout with Delphine Persson. Uh, then I realized that time of late is a flat circle, and that, that was actually already three months ago. I'm like, how the hell did that happen? Um, I don't know anything about Miriam Gutierrez other than that she's the mandatory, uh, she's unbeaten against a number of unknown fighters uh, and has never fought outside of Spain. I assume that Taylor is, the, is this favorite here. Um, but it is great to see it top that triple header of women's fights. Um, it's been a long time coming, but of late it really does feel as if women's boxing now actually is developing some depth in quality as well. And as we've said before, I think a lot of that is surely opening up the Olympics to female boxers um, and just giving real incentives to amateur programs uh, for women as for men. Like good amateur backgrounds are really key to developing good pro careers. Um, so it's great that they've been provided greater opportunities. Now pay them better and let them fight three minute rounds. There you go. All right. That will do it for another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We will be back next week to recap Crawford Brook and cover everything else happening in the world of boxing. Until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.